You're listening to a podcast of Master Your Finances with me, Kurt Baker, a certified financial planner professional. Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. on 1077thebronc.com. Another day, another dollar, and our certified financial planner professional, Kurt Baker, will give you the tips you need to turn that single into a sea of green with Master Your Finances. Whether you have enough to get by or too much in your pockets, Kurt Baker and his weekly guests are here to show you how to manage it all. Master Your Finances is underwritten by Certified Wealth Management and Investment, LLC. Now listen up, because it's time to get a hold of those money matters and master your finances. Good morning and welcome back to another edition of Master Your Finances presented by Certified Wealth Management and Investment. I'm Kurt Baker, Certified Financial Planner Professional, hosting your show, and my office is located here in Princeton, New Jersey. I can be reached through our website, which is www.cwmi.us, or you can call me directly at 609-716-4700. This week, we're very pleased to have back Kimberly uh, Phelan. Uh, partner, CPA, MBA, practice leader in international services. And um, she is based in the Withams um, Princeton office. Uh, Kimberly is a tax preparer with over 25 years of experience of accounting and tax experience, including working in the tax departments of Cooper and Libran, uh, Pricewater. Uh, Kimberly's experience lies in international structuring, FACTA, transfer pricing, partnerships inbound and outbound, executive compensation planning, and individuals. She graduated from Wellesley College with a bachelor's degree, uh, cum laude, in economics and international relations. Uh, She also earned an MBA in accounting and finance at John E. Anderson Graduate School of Management at UCLA. She's a member of the um, American Institute of Certified Public Accountants and New Jersey Society of Certified Public Accountants, and she sits on the International Tax Committee She's also the co-chair of both the HLB, North American Tax Services Group, and International Taxes Committee. And she's a founder. Um, she is the founder of Withams, Wiz, uh, Women's, excuse me, Withams Women's Leadership Development Initiative and actively participates in HLB's Women in Business Program. Um, she has authored uh, several articles for numerous publications, has many, many awards, um, <laughs> <laughs> and has been a frequent lecturer on tax business of financial matters to the general public and professional and business organizations. She coordinates and conducts continuing professional education, all types of tax issues for the firm's accountants and outside professionals. And she resides here in Mercer County. Thanks, Kimberly, for coming back. It's great to be back. (laughs) So we appreciate it very much. And I know since you were last on a little little over a year ago, a a couple things have been happening out there. Yes, a lot has been happening in my world of international (laughs) tax. So last year we were talking a lot, I think, about the deemed repatriation and Mm -hmm. what happened. Uh, Law passed on December 22nd, 2017, and effective 1231-17. So not a lot of time to prepare and get ready Mm -hmm. for the deemed repatriation. And this has been, that was the first step in many steps in a total change in international taxation of U.S. corporations and individuals. The big news here is that we've moved to a territorial system of taxation. Uh, What does that mean? Well, previously, U.S. individuals and U.S. companies were taxed on their worldwide income. Usually when it came back into the U.S., Mm -hmm. you'd have to pick up that income. And to the extent that you had paid tax elsewhere, you could get a foreign tax credit. But you essentially, once all the money came into the U.S., you were taxed here in the U.S. For a territorial system of taxation really pertaining to corporations, that means that the income is taxed 
where it is earned. So if you're a U.S. company and you have a subsidiary, say, in the United Kingdom, you would pay tax in the United Kingdom. And when you bring that money back into the U.S., you do not have to pay U.S. tax. It's covered by what we call a participation exemption. Since it's your subsidiary, you participate in that business, you're exempt from paying tax on that. Why is that important? <laughs> Good question. Sounds very complicated yeah. to me. <laughs> not yeah. that complicated. Yeah, it's interesting but, concept. Um, yep. Think back in 2017, our corporate tax rate was thir- when it was graduated up mm-hmm. to 35%. And the rest of the world, with the possible exception of Japan, had a lower tax rate. In 2017, with that tax cut, the U.S. corporate tax rate dropped to 21%. Mm-hmm. But with that, countries around the world have closer to that tax rate. So if you're in the U.K., you're paying tax on your corporate earnings Right now at 19%, it's going to drop to 17% in the next year or two. But when you bring that money back into the U.S., you don't pay any further tax. So a differential, like the 4% a, Yeah, that 4%. Thing, and it used to be right. that let's say you brought $100 back in, mm-hmm. you'd already paid tax of 20% over right. in the U.K. When you bring it back in, you would pick up, let's call it $121. You paid $21 of tax. You pick up 120 when you tax that at 35%, and then you get a, t- a credit of the 21%, and right. you're left paying that differential. Right, just that difference between uh-huh. the two, basically. You don't have that anymore. Okay. Our tax rate has dropped, but you also don't have the foreign tax credit system anymore for those repatriated dividends when they come back in as we move to the, tran- to the territorial system. Individuals, however, don't get that foreign tax credit for corporate-level taxes paid overseas. So as we go through a number of the other provisions of international tax law changes, you'll find that corporations are big winners in the Tax Cut and Jobs Act of 17. And individuals are really not winners. (laughs) They can be penalized pretty badly. It's almost, you get the feeling that they wrote this law with specifically with large multinational corporations in mind, and they forgot that like U.S. business, a lot of international business is done by small businesses, by right. individuals oh, owning small owning small companies that start to do business overseas. And as I go through these, you'll see, well, that applies to corporations, doesn't apply to individuals. So it's not necessarily a good thing. So this might, I mean, you're going to go through these in a minute, yeah. but it sounds like maybe structure becomes more important now. Oh, as structure far as how is, you set everything up is very yes, different now. Yes, it is. It <laughs> is. I've, I've said, I've been doing, I, I've been practicing international tax since, I dare to say, since 1991. And I feel mm-hmm. like after December 22nd, 2017, I have to lift my brain out of my head, turn it 90 degrees, and put it back in and try to figure out everything again. This is a whole totally different it's approach a now. a totally different right. approach. And how many times, certainly a year ago, that I'd be advising a client, talking to a client about what they're doing abroad or a foreign company coming into the U.S., and I have to go, oh, stop, tax law change. Let right. me rethink how we're going to approach this. So it's been, it's been a challenge. Um, the other big challenge that we'll talk about more at the end is that change is happening worldwide, not just in the U.S., and that's impacted. There seems to be a ripple effect when these things start to happen, right? Yeah, and it's not yeah. so much that yeah. countries are changing their tax law the massive way we changed our mm-hmm. tax law, but there are different things happening that make us rethink what we're doing. The trade tariffs, the new NAFTA, the big one is Brexit. Right. And Brexit is hitting hard and fast right now. 
it's amazing how many companies I've heard calling me from the UK saying, we've got to set up a US corp because we might have a hard Brexit and we need to be ready for that. So and nobody's really even sure if that's really happening. Yep, it seems but like they want to be one ready. One day it's yes, one day it's no. It's exactly. Like, okay, so you yeah. have, but you have to be ready, as you point out. Right. And, you know, businesses, what they want more than anything else is stability. They like consistency, and right? They like, you know what? <laughs> like okay, if I'm going to pay a 35% tax rate, that's fine. Well, it's not fine, but that's fine as long as I know and I can plan around that. Right. This whole shift is having people going, what am I doing? Right. And the scarier thing is it changed so fast. It changed without a lot of, without the ability to plan for it. Mm -hmm. We're still getting regulations. So we have law, but we have no way, no interpretations of that law. We have no regulations saying this is how you put it in place. We're just starting to get them and they're proposed and then a lot of them are not final. So we know what we should do, but we need all of the details around that. And we don't have that yet. And this tax law, we had to report on our 2017 tax right. return. So we had to report it a year ago, and we're still getting guidance on how to do that. Oh, my goodness. That's so a little just, scary. It's just a scary – yeah, it's been a challenge to say it's been a challenge. So the big big news around tax law change of 17, the deemed repatriation, which was our stepping stone mm -hmm. to get to the territorial system of taxation, but then trying to keep profits in the U.S., and trying to prevent companies from moving their profitable assets overseas, there were two pieces of legislation institu instituted. One is called guilty. Yes, it's, <laughs> it is bad because it is guilty. The global intangible low-taxed income. There's a special regime around a certain type of income. The other one I really don't like is called FIDI or foreign-derived intangible income. And that is actually a benefit, ah, but a benefit only for C-corporations who actually earn profits from overseas that are intangible. And the last one um, goes hand-in-hand hand with a, an OECD, an Organization of Economic Cooperation and Development, which is a large multinational organization that mm -hmm. tries to level the playing field for businesses. They have been working for years on a project called BEPS, the Base Erosion Profit Shifting. So our tax law came in and I don't want to say cut the legs out, but kind of said, okay, this is how we're, we're going to approach it, mm -hmm. which basically said to corporations, again, only our largest corporations, if you have payments to related parties that erode our base of taxation here in the U.S., we're going to make you add those back. So it basically became a form of a corporate alternative minimum tax. Well, how do you, I'm, I'm thinking out in, my, out in my head, how do you determine that, that it erodes your current, I mean... Because that sounds like a very vague definition to me. Yeah, and I, I'll talk a little bit more about BEPS and what BEPS is, right. but it's basically yeah. a system of how much can we, as you know, if you think back to 2017 when our tax rate was 35%, right. the UK it was 19%, you'd have an incentive to move profits. Yeah, you try to keep UK. the profit like local or right. where it was as opposed to bringing it over. So, right. to the extent you use transfer pricing, you use interest in loans, you use management fees right. to move income over to the UK. That erodes the tax base in the U.S., hence base erosion. So it's okay. eroding the base of taxable income. So the BEAT, the Base Erosion Anti-Abuse Tax, tries to get around that for our largest U.S. corporations. So and as I said, all of this was introduced around November mm -hmm. of 2017, signed into law December 22nd of 2017, some of it effective, 1118, some of it effective for your 2017 tax year. And it's just now that we're starting to get regulations on it. Well, Kimberly, that's a great overview of a very complex <laughs> situation. We're going to get into much more detail about how all, what all that really means and how it mm -hmm. affects 
uh, business owners, uh, what large and small. We come back in just a few minutes. It's not about the money, money, money. It's all about how you manage your money. Now let's get back to learning how from Kurt Baker of Certified Wealth Management and Investment with Massier Finances. Welcome back. You're listening to Master Your Finances. I'm Kurt Baker here with uh, Kimberly uh, Phelan, and we've been uh, talking with Witham, and we've been talking about some of the changes that went into effect the end of uh, 2017 and created some new uh, things that uh, we have to deal with as far as on an international basis. And she mentioned how a lot of this stuff was really structured for larger corporations, but it's affecting the smaller ones as well as far as the different things. And she mentioned things like the guilty, the global intangible low-taxed income, FIDI, uh, the foreign-derived uh, intangible income, as well as BEAT, Base Erosion Anti-Abuse Tax. And so that's a lot of stuff going on. And I guess the real question is changing from changing to this, quote, from a worldwide income system to the territorial right. system has a lot of effects. And so what does that really mean to business owners, smaller and larger, and how is it affecting well, us all? Both smaller and larger business owners. If you're a large business, if you're a large business, you're structured as a C corporation, mm-hmm. and then you're getting that, you're getting a participation exemption. You're really now to filing taxes, planning the way the rest of the world does. You pay tax in the country where you earn the profit. When you bring it back to your home country, you you don't pay any further tax, which right. is a, a good way to work to look at it. Right, right. Now, our issue is that in the U.S., we have pass-through entities, S-corporations, LLCs, partnerships, which means individuals own and pay the tax on that. So this shift to a territorial system of taxation did not have a large impact on the individuals. They will still pick up that dividend income when it's received from the foreign entity, which has led us to restructure a lot of our foreign entities. I'll get to that in a minute. But how we took that step, I just want to go back and talk very briefly about how we made that step. We made that step through a deemed repatriation. So as of 1231-17, every foreign corporation was deemed to have repatriated all of their deferred foreign income or all of those profits that had been staying overseas. All of that was deemed dividended back into the U.S. And we got some special tax rates around that. To the extent that the foreign corporation had liquid assets, had cash, accounts receivable, mm-hmm. investments that could be converted into cash, the tax rate was 15.5%. Now, to the extent that the profits exceeded that sh- short-term asset, that cash, it was probably invested somewhere, and that tax rate was 8%. And you were still able to claim a foreign tax credit against that deemed repatriation. So it's really only impacted, for corporations, it really only impacted those businesses in low-tax jurisdictions because you wouldn't have the foreign tax credit coming right. back in. So. You could manage your worldwide effective tax rate. Individuals did not get that deemed credit of the taxes paid by the foreign corporation, but they still had to pick up the income. Um, So it was a a big hit to individuals. Now, one of the good things that happened with this law is that you can pay that tax in over eight years. And once you've picked up that income as of 1231-17, you can actually bring the cash back without any further taxation. So a lot of individuals went, okay, I'm going to have to pay this tax over eight years, but let me start bringing the cash back so I have okay. the cash to pay it. So that's that's been good. Um, a kind of hidden little uh, barb in all of this is the states. Because uh-huh. many states said, yes, bring that money in. If you've reported your deemed repatriation as dividend income here as 
effective 1231.17, we're going to make you pick it up for state purposes, and we're not offering a special rate. So you just pick up that full amount on your state tax return, and we're not offering to let you pay it in over eight years. Oh, they do it right away. They did it right away. So the states have, you know, chomped on the bit here and gotten quite a bit of uh, tax revenues. Now, this, as I keep saying, it passed into law December 22nd, effective December 31st, 2017. That's like nothing. That's like a week. Taxes due on this April 15th, 2018. So there are many, many taxpayers wow. who whoosh, this just went right past I'm them. Sure. So the IRS is has given some guidance to say, well, if you didn't get it done by April, but you file an amended return by October 15th, 2018, we're good with it. And then they came back and said, well, if you have the first two payments in by April 15th, 2019, oh. we'll consider you compliant, provided you get everything done. So right now... People are coming out of the woodwork saying, yeah, I kind of heard there's something changing with international. Can you look at my returns? So well, we're looking. really important to get it right this season. Yes, because if you get it right by April 15th, 2019, you can take that eight years to pay it. Okay. And they're not going to charge you interest and they're not going to impose penalties. How are the states responding to this? Um, Have they said anything? Or they the states very- really, the states just, you know, are happy to, if you're amending your federal, you got to amend your state. So right. they're going to okay. be, you know, they share information. So they're right, going right. to be sure. looking for that money to come in. Um, so as long as, you know, you're for federal, as long as you're right. compliant by April 15th, okay. 2019, they'll let you take the eight years and Good. they'll consider it, you know, they'll, they're going to be pretty lenient there. But I would say after April 15th, 2019, if that money's not paid in, they will hit you and they will right. hit you hard. So yeah, they can be pretty so mean sometimes. They can. <laughs> they can. So yeah. So what what has this done? Well, there was really no planning you could do for that because right. it hit. And just to make sure you didn't try to like restructure between when the bill was introduced in November, early November of 17, and when it was signed into law in December, on December 22nd, they actually have provisions that, provisions that make you go back and look at what was your cash and what was your deferred mm. foreign income on November 2nd, which is the date the bill was introduced. The day it was passed. So they, oh, my goodness. They, yeah, so it was a lot of calculations to make sure that— This is like you, analyzing an estate, like like you died on that day. It is. <laughs> like we're going to go back and take a picture based on when you passed. It is. It is. And and then they came back and said, well, we've realized that November 2nd is a really odd date, so we'll let you use October 31st and then just annualize for those two days we missed. Okay. So they they have – but, of course, that guidance came out in August, you know. Right. We're still catching up on on all of that. So the deemed repatriation is – I wouldn't say dead. It's kind of – the timeline has passed, but we're still right. dealing with a lot right, of issues. Right, right. So we're dealing with that. But what that's made us do in light of all of these other tax law changes that are coming as well is really stop and look at all of you know all of our clients. Right. How are you structured here? How are you structured overseas? So basically, in the U.S., doing business outside of us, you can have a sole proprietorship, which is just you as an individual. You can then form a flow-through entity, an S-corporation, a partnership, or an LLC, where that is a separate business, but all of that income, all of those tax attributes flow through to the individual owners. Mm-hmm. Or you can operate as a C-corporation. A C-corporation pays its own tax, and then when a dividend is distributed, it comes to the individual, and they pay tax. So there's always a double level of taxation right. with C-corporations. 
But if you're doing business internationally and our corporate tax rate has dropped to 21% and there's now a participation exemption so you don't have to pay tax on the foreign income when it comes into the U.S. and it's a U.S. corporation and individuals can pay taxes, qualified dividends at 21%, We're finding out that (laughs) corporate structures are not that bad anymore. That double level of taxation doesn't real does you know doesn't create a lot of tax. Right. Especially since the individual tax rate, the maximum rate did drop to thirty seven percent. So there's still a pretty large differential. Right. Eighteen percent made up for by the fact that it's a qualified dividend, but because of different because of different. taxation of foreign entities, whether it's the guilty that we'll talk about yeah. all of the details on that or the fitty, your corporation might be paying less tax yeah. than you would pay as an individual, even with that double level of taxation. So we've done a lot of looking at our foreign entities. A second thing to look at is how are you doing business overseas? Is that entity a per se corporation? Is that entity a corporation in the home country, its home country? Right. And do we have to treat it as a corporation for U.S. tax purposes? Those are, think of your, your big big companies, um, a public limited company in the U.K., capital P, capital L, capital C, or a Societe Anonyme, an SA right. in France. But if it's a private limited company or if it's a GmbH, I, I can't say the German, but if it's <laughs> you know, not specifically a per se corporation, right. then you can treat it differently for the US. You can, it can be a corp, taxed as a corporation in the UK, but taxed as a flow-through entity in the US. And with that, you avoid transfer pricing issues. You might avoid subpart F, which is an anti-abuse like current inclusion of income. And you avoid guilty, which is a big one. Um, So we're looking not only at how entities are structured here in the U.S., but how are their overseas operations structured? And how can we change that structure to minimize the worldwide effective tax rate? Wow, we have a lot to talk about. And I appreciate you going through all of that. Yeah, there's a lot going on. So what I got out of is the structure really matters now more than ever as far as how you set things up uh, internationally and in the U.S., and we'll pick up on some of the uh, things you need to plan for when we come back in just a minute or two. Great. Thanks, Kimberly. It's not about the money, money, money. It's all about how you manage your money. Now let's get back to learning how from Kurt Baker of Certified Wealth Management and Investment with Master Finances. Welcome back. You're, you're listening to Master Finances. I am Kurt Baker here with Kimberly Phelan, and she's a partner with Witham. And we're talking about international tax and why, after some of the tax laws that went into effect at the end of 2017, that structure makes more difference than ever now as far as how you set things up here in the U.S. as well as overseas. And she's going to go into a little more detail about what we do and what all that means. Right, yes. <laughs> so there are, there are a few things from international tax that, well, so much has changed. There are a lot of concepts in international tax that have not changed mm-hmm. and that the new, you know, you almost think of it as a layer cake that we've always had this layer cake. Well, we've probably added a few layers and thrown a lot of icing onto the international tax. So now as you cut into it, it's just, there's a lot you need to think about. Something that's very old, been around for a long time is subpart F. Subpart F is an anti-avoidance section of the Internal Revenue Code. And when I try to explain it to clients, I, I use a pretty simple example, which is say you're in the U.S. and you're doing business here and you want to sell 
to a relate. You want to sell in the UK. Mm-hmm. But you discover that by funneling your sales through a country, well, let's call it the Cayman Islands, you can set up an entity there, sell to the Cayman Islands, and then they can sell to the UK, and you can park your profit in the Cayman Islands and not pay tax there because there is no tax. You can save a lot of money. Somebody might get upset about that? that Well, yeah, that's done. (laughs) Because, Because of subpart F, when you're dealing with a related party and you don't have actual operations in that country, mm. there's a whole set of rules. That would be called a foreign-based company sales income, and that that profit gets picked up right away. Okay. And all industrialized countries have this. Right, right, right. We call it subpart F. Europe calls it anti-avoidance. Um, Canada calls it, I think they call it GAR. Um <laughs> So we all have different names. But basically, if you try to structure your way and park profits outside of where economic activity is They don't is like actually, circumvention, right, is what exactly, they're saying. They don't like that, circumvention. They consider that tax <laughs> evasion. So while avoidance is legal, evasion is not. So okay. subpart F is still there, hasn't gone away. In fact, guilty is technically considered a new type of subpart F income. There's also transfer pricing. I spoke briefly about right. this. This is, you know, when you're dealing with related parties – overseas, even within the U.S., you're supposed to transact business on an arm's length basis. So transfer pricing really deals on a worldwide basis with the documentation and the studies and the analysis you need to do to confirm that when you're dealing with a related party, you're operating on that arm's length basis. Because there is an arbitrage of tax rates and it is very easy to say, oh yeah, I'm going to go put my profit over in a low tax jurisdiction Mm -hmm. So transfer pricing was the first thing, the kind of line of defense. Now, it's a very, very short section of the Internal Revenue Code. I think it's, you know, it's a short, it's maybe a medium-sized paragraph. Okay. The regulations, the writings, the, you know, everything else is voluminous. It's a huge part. In fact, when I started in international tax in 1991, the the 482 is the code section. The 482 regs had just been released. So this has been around for a long time, and it still impacts people. We said it was the international tax topic of the of the last century, and it's still the, the number one international tax topic of this century, although tax reform might have replaced that briefly. Right, right. Um, out of that came the OECD's base erosion and profit shifting guidelines. There are 15... 15 criteria you have to meet in transfer pricing relates to many of them. But it's basically a worldwide effort to get countries to operate on that arm's length basis, to allocate the income where the functions and risks are happening. And it is a system, two major things out of that are one, uh, country by country reporting where you have a multinational corporation, the parent company has to prepare documentation on country by country reporting Then it, it is then shared by the countries in which the company is doing business. Right now, only impacts the largest taxpayers, but the the asset value at which you have to start reporting is going to start to drop. I believe it started at, out at about $850 million of assets, and I think it's dropping now to about $500 million okay. of a- euros of assets. So, okay. you know, okay. we, we expect that to come down. So that's that's still out there. That's still happening. The other big thing coming out of the base erosion profit shifting initiative is it's going to require a change to all of our treaties so that our treaties match. Um, and with that, they've 
implemented a system where countries can just modify all of their treaties at once for these issues if both countries have signed on to these changes. So you don't have to go back and renegotiate every single treaty. We can just adopt all of these changes at once. So that's in the works. The other big thing that hasn't changed, that's been there forever, and that has just been uh, implemented more, shall we say, is penalties for non-compliance with foreign tax reporting obligations. So anytime a U.S. taxpayer owns a foreign entity, uh, be it a corporation partnership or um, disregarded entity, anytime you have a foreign bank account, anytime you invest money into a foreign corporation, if you're a beneficiary of a foreign trust, all of these situations have reporting obligations. They may not and most likely will not change your U.S. tax obligation, but the reporting requirement is there. And when you don't file one of those forms, Mm. the penalty was $10,000 per year per form that's not filed. One of the changes that was made with the Tax Cut and Jobs Act of 17 is a specific requirement that if you have a 25% foreign owner and you're doing business in the U.S., so you're a U.S. corporation, Mm -hmm. or you could even be a branch of a foreign corporation in the U.S., and you don't fill out this form to report your related party transactions, the penalty for that form has gone up to $25,000 per year per form. So... That's a big area where we've had a lot. We've been, I've been talking about $10,000 per year performed for years. We're really starting to see people come forward and say, I've got to come, I've got to get compliant with all of this. There have been offshore voluntary disclosure initiatives where you could come forward and get those forms filed without penalty, which has been great. Those are starting to shut down. And trust me, the IRS is finding these taxpayers. And they are imposing that penalty w- with a vengeance. Just they're taking no prisoners. That those penalty notices are coming out very fast. I think it's a lot more communication between international entities yes. now because I think people think, and I, and I have you know, I've they'll clients never who are like, well, I have stuff it. over there. Don't worry about that over there. Worry about and that I'm over like, there. And I don't do the tax part of it, but it's yeah. like they're like, we'll just don't you know that's over there. We'll just leave it there, right? The assets. But now, well, if if it's an asset, say you own a home in Italy, right. that doesn't need to be reported. But okay. if you're renting out that home in Italy and you have a bank income. account in Italy and you have more than ten thousand dollars in that bank account, you better report that bank account. The penalty for not reporting a bank account and for willfully not reporting that bank right. account is fifty percent of the balance in the bank account per year. So you can quickly see that you could owe more in penalties than what's actually in the bank account if you let this go a number of years. Right. That's if you're really fraudulent and, and refuse to report. Otherwise, um, we can get you in and get you get those get those reported with I think a it was minimum UBS penalty. Just suffered a very large penalty, right? Oh yeah. For, for well, because they were the Yep, they did. They did. <laughs> so don't be, do it. Don't do it. Don't no, do it's, it. it's always worth it's line. always worth complying. It right. is in my opinion, it's always worth complying. Because again, it doesn't change your tax situation. Right. If you have an investment account in Switzerland, that was a big one that right. where UBS got breached. Right. You were paying taxes on all of your dividends over there right. because they just withhold tax at source. So if you had reported those dividends, you could have claimed the foreign tax credit, no change to your U.S. tax, but not reporting it now could subject you to a lot of penalties. So I think there's a lot of planning to do. There's a lot of restructuring you can do to minimize your taxes and um, and 
But the big one is if you don't report, those penalties will rack up and will rack up really quickly. And they're harder and harder and harder to get out of. And they're escalating. Now, is that happening overseas as well as far as, like, are other countries viewing this in a similar way that we they, are? They are. They're not quite as heavy-handed with the penalties. Okay. But, for example, in Canada, if you, have a, if you have a corporate return and if you're just filing a corporate return to say, yeah, I'm here, but my activity doesn't rise to the level of permanent establishment, mm-hmm. so I'm not subject to tax. If you don't file that return on time, it's an automatic $2,500 per year penalty. That's about the highest you see outside of the U.S. Okay. Now, the U.S. has tried to bring all of this in, bring everybody into the fold through um, a tax act called the Foreign Account Tax Compliance Act, FATCA. Other companies, other countries have adopted that kind of reporting that's required, and they call it the common reporting standards. So if you have, if you're a U.S. person and you have an account in Switzerland, Switzerland is going to require you to disclose that you are a U.S. person, and they will then get a W-9 reporting your U.S. ID number, and they'll do all of that reporting either to Switzerland or to the U.S. government, depending upon the bank, and also, you know, worldwide, depending upon the country. Other countries have cottoned on to that, and they're now requiring the same. So there's a lot more reporting going on cross-border. So get compliant and start doing this. And, uh, I mean, honestly, from an asset's planning standpoint, it actually might be good to put it all in one place for yourself. (laughs) So, yeah, it's very important to file the right forms in each country and make sure the structures are correct. We'll be right back to talk a little bit more about all these changes and how they're impacting uh, small and large business as well as individuals. Be right back. It's not about the money, money, money. It's all about how you manage your money. Now let's get back to learning how from Kurt Baker of Certified Wealth Management and Investment with Master Finances. Hi, welcome back to Master Your Finances. I'm Kurt Baker here with uh, Kimberly uh, Phelan, and we're talking about international tax laws and how that affects us, and there's a lot more to talk about, so we're going to let Kimberly get right to it and give us the rest right. of the, the summary here. Okay, guilty. <laughs> Let's get straight into guilty, the global intangible low tax income. So you think, oh, well, intangible income, income from royalties, income from patents. No, 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 no. The IRS has defined intangible income, and this is an important definition, as Income that exceeds a 10% return on qualified business asset investment. So basically think, I have fixed assets. Maybe I've depreciated them. Mm -hmm. So I have an adjusted basis of my fixed assets. To the extent that my net income exceeds 10% of those fixed assets, it's deemed intangible income. Really? It is. Oh, that's interesting. So now you're operating in a foreign country. Maybe you're not a capital-intensive organization. You're a consulting firm. You have intangible income. If you're operating as a C-Corp in the U.S., we get to take that guilty income, and we get to take a 50% deduction from that, and we pick that up as U.S. source at, in our U.S. tax return, and we can take a deemed paid credit for the foreign taxes paid on that income and calculate a foreign tax credit. So basically... If you're a C corporation and you're operating overseas and your worldwide effective tax rate on your foreign source income, so from all the different countries you're in, if that is over 13 and 8 percent, 13.125 percent, you're not going to be impacted by guilty because you'll be protected through the foreign tax credit mechanism. Mm. This tax law was written for large corporations because that 50% deduction and that deemed paid credit does not apply to individuals who own foreign corporations. 
whether it's through an S-corp, an LLC, a partnership, or straight out as an individual. So individuals are just getting hammered by this guilty oh tax. So there are three ways around this guilty tax for individuals. The first is to convert their entity, whether it's an S-corporation or a, an LLC, to convert that into a C-corporation because the C-corporation gets the deduct 50% deduction and gets the deemed paid credit of foreign taxes. Mm -hmm. So that's one way. The second way, which a lot of my clients, we've, we've counseled our clients to do, is to look at those foreign entities and check the box and treat those entities as disregarded for U.S. tax purposes. Basically, treat those entities as a branch of the U.S. entity. So all of that income, when it, wherever they've earned it, comes right into the U.S. and gets taxed in the U.S. immediately, but the foreign tax credits come with them. Now, this makes sense if you're operating in an industrialized country. If you're in a low-tax country, this probably makes a lot less sense. And then you might want to go and say, do I want to become a C corporation? Because then mm -hmm. I can leave that profit over there, not taxed. When I bring that profit back into the U.S., I get the participation exemption and I have no more tax. So we've done a lot of looking at where where you're operating, what that tax rate is, how does that make sense? There is a third way around this. Not a lot of taxpayers use it because it is very esoteric. It's called making a Section 962 election, and that's basically an election to treat the taxpayer as a corporation with respect to that income. I don't recommend it. It's just it's it's been around forever. Nobody ever did it before. Mm -hmm. I think it's easier to structure yourself once and for all and get it right the first time. So that, in a nutshell, is guilty. Um, so it takes a, it's a lot of bookkeeping because right. one of the issues around guilty is that you have to look at your foreign entity and you have to convert your foreign entity onto U.S. tax standards to calculate what the qualified business asset investment is. So you have to take their fixed assets and depreciate them according to U.S. standards. So there's a lot of work to be you done to around these calculations, sure. right, right. right? So that is the stick. Okay. The U.S. also put a carrot out there. Okay. This tax code put a carrot. Oh, and that go. carrot is, yes, is the foreign-derived <laughs> intangible income. So again, now you might be a U.S. entity and you are operating and you have overseas income, but that income is coming straight into your U.S. return. So mm -hmm. think disregarded entity that's right. coming back in. To the extent that income exceeds 10% of the qualified business asset investment, it's, it's deemed intangible. Okay. If you're a C corporation, that income is taxed at a preferred rate of 13 and percent. So now think about this. I'm an individual. I own a lot of foreign entities. I can incorporate myself, put a C corporation in between, elect disregarded stat status for my foreign entities potentially, pick up deferred foreign intangible income and tax it at 13 and a quarter percent. And then I can pass out a dividend and tax right. it at 20%. And you're below that maximum 37% huh? tax rate. Uh, so go. so we've done Magic. a lot of <laughs> a lot of planning around that. Um, the the, uh, the final piece of tax legislation passed in 2017 was the BEAT, the Base Erosion Anti-Abuse Tax. This applies to the largest corporations. Back to Fiddy for two seconds. 
FIDI does not apply to individuals. So you'd have to put a corporation okay. to be the owner of those foreign entities. So this is where I said the tax law was written for corporations. Right. They didn't really think about individuals. Here they definitely didn't setting think. setting up the right structure, again, really yeah. matters. Yeah, Having the right structure. Exactly. Yeah. So BEAT applies to really large, really large entities. If you have U.S. gross revenue in excess of $500 million, you are subject to calculating the BEAT. If you have made a payment to a related party, and that payment is not taxed back in here in the U.S., it's not subject to withholding here, you have to add that payment back to your modif to your taxable income and calculate tax on that at a much lower rate. At mm -hmm. a 5% for the initial year, it's going to 10%. Eventually, it's going to 12%, except for banks. Banks have a different tax rate. But So it's a corporate alternative minimum tax. If okay. your regular tax rate bears tax at a, a certain amount, you calculate it with these base erosion payments, add it back in at a lower tax rate, you pay on the higher base. So that's really a new form of corporate alternative minimum tax that's come about because of this. So all companies are paying that? Because I, I mean, I heard this thing about uh, what Amazon, like they didn't pay any tax. Is that, I don't that's know That's you know probably that. because they structured properly. Ah, I'm sure they did. <laughs> and they may not be paying, making those base erosion payments. Okay. Or a lot of they've already pushed so much of their operations overseas that they're that's not coming back into the okay. US yet. So Amazon, <laughs> Apple, Google, trust me, they have very high end I'm tax sure. attorneys structuring I'm them sure properly. I'm sure they tax. restructured before the tax law was passed. <laughs> Probably. So yeah, it's our favorite thing. But my friend at Amazon says so. Um, <laughs> Every situation is different. That's sure. why we tell we write articles and say you got to talk to your tax advisor. Absolutely. If you're getting different. a K-1 from a partnership this year, I can guarantee you there are going to be paragraphs on that K-1 of tax law changes talking right. about interest deductions, talking about whether it's a qualified business or it's, you know, what positions you can take. And it's going to say consult your tax advisor. And do it. Was this tax <laughs> simplification? No, not really. Not unless... You have wages and a mortgage, and that's it. Right. Then it is. But otherwise, it's not. If you're doing business overseas, it's definitely not. Right, right, right. So we have major tax law changes that are impacting how you're going to be taxed here. But we also have major business impacts happening right now. We have the tariff wars. Right. Goodness knows what those are going to do. I think we're coming up on another date with China of when you right. know tariffs will increase. Um, I I heard people on NPR this morning talking and saying tariffs are the worst thing ever. I tend to agree. I'm more of an open borders type of person to say let free trade happen and and as long as as long as you're operating and you're using transfer pricing properly, right. let the income fall where it needs to. Tariffs don't really make sense unless you have dumping or something right, like right, that. Right. We have the new NAFTA. The United the States, the Canada, Mexico trade agreement, <laughs> the new NAFTA Im impacting, you know, because our biggest trading partner is Canada. Right. They are oh, yeah. our neighbors. Sure. Our biggest trading partner is Canada, and that's going to have a lot of impact. The biggest impact I'm seeing right now, though, is Brexit. In a month, really? okay. we have a Brexit date. Right. March 29th is, is Brexit. Um, it, we don't have a deal. Brexit doesn't have a deal. Do we extend? Do I stay? Do I go? What's going to happen? I've had a number of UK companies calling me in the last two weeks saying, we don't know what's going to happen. We want a US entity because if we have a US entity, we can start to trade through our US entity. 
We might not have, you know, the UK might not have a trade deal with the EU, but the US does. And so we want to be able to continue to operate, to continue to trade with our former partners in the EU through the US company. We want to be able to come into the US and know that we can expand our business in the US because we might be shut out of the EU. So I think that's just I, 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 it'll, it'll be interesting. I will actually be in the UK in two weeks talking oh, to wow. a bunch oh. of tax advisors. <laughs> and so I might be a little bit more informed on March 6th. So we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. That's just, it's always changing. Always changing. It seems always like every time changing. you watch the news, something new has happened or not right. happened, right? So right. it'll be very interesting. Well, Kimberly, I really, really appreciate you coming on and talking to us about all these changes. And I know bottom line is if you're dealing overseas you really need to make sure you're talking to an, a, a tax advisor who really knows what they're talking about because so many changes are involved and you really need to make sure you're structured correctly and reporting correctly um again you've been listening to master your finances i'm kurt baker a certified financial planner professional you can reach me at 609-716-4700 uh, you can pick up this uh podcast and all of our podcasts at masteryourfinances.us Remember, together we can master your finances so you can enjoy financial peace of mind. It's hard to keep up with the fast-paced financial world, but because of Master Your Finances, you have a head start. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of Master Your Finances with Kurt Baker, our certified financial planner professional, only on 1077 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. Tune in next week, Sunday at 9 a.m. to get a boost on your financial planning. But if you missed a week, you can check out past episodes. Just go to masteryourfinances.us to check out past episodes and more. Master Your Finances is underwritten by Certified Wealth Management and Investment LLC. Money doesn't grow on trees, but it can grow your portfolio. Thanks to Kurt Baker and Master Your Finances. On Sundays at 9 a.m. Exclusively on 1077 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com.